0: Anywhere that you go, everybody's got to date. We have to exist as a society. And the only way to do that right now is by keep procreating. So the way to do that is dating. That's it. And I do it at a high level.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Profession Session. My goal with this podcast is to expose you to incredible entrepreneurs so that you can hear more about the mindset behind their success, as well as some of the tactics that have allowed them to achieve the success. If you've ever gotten value from this or if you get value from this episode, I encourage you to like, subscribe, and especially to share this podcast with as many people as you can so that it can help other aspiring entrepreneurs to have the kinds of success that these ones have had. Thank you so much, and enjoy this episode.
0: Yeah, well, I guess it all started in 1992 uh, in the womb. Yeah, I had a, I had just emerged from my mother and i was just like man i'm hilarious <laughs> how do i form words what can i do to get people's attention and all i could think of was "whan <laughs> Uh and that that just carried me through i remember my parents it's a good line yeah it was uh it was improv it was off the top uh but my parents really liked it they were really receptive to it they uh clothed fed uh, supported me all based off the strength of just that first paid gig yeah just off of the strength of that comedic choice and i really i stuck with it so it was good uh (laughs) (laughs) no man uh, for as long as i can remember for as young as i've i've been i've always uh enjoyed entertaining people making people laugh um i think that i needed to uh add some levity to my family um both of my parents uh they're total opposites but one thing they have in common is they're like strict and straight edge as hell like i really okay yeah i think my dad has a sense of humor but it's not my style so i don't appreciate it it's like annoying at best <laughs> <laughs> and, and not existed at worst and uh my mom is both of my parents are super fun loving like they love watching comedy but they're not funny people uh my sister's too so growing up in my house it was kind of just like always heavy like, real intense, like, parents fighting, bickering, like, me and my sisters just trying to get by or whatever. Uh, And I think just reading I think will Smith put out a book and uh he was talking about like the different trauma responses you have to like a, a household like that uh and there's like flight or flight you could either be the kind of person who like is an aggressor uh and you challenge it and antagonize it uh or you can be the uh, it's like the latter is like a more cowardly route where you just kind of try to run and escape and like just keep to yourself uh but there's a third type a different type that I think that I'm Uh, probably more likely to fall under, uh, is the type that just uh, keeps things light, makes everybody, uh, keeps everybody in a good mood so we don't have these, like, high emotions all the time. The comedic relief. Yeah, exactly that. Um, And it it made my life really, really easy and simple. Um, I was well-liked at home. I was was a well-behaved kid, and I would just, like, joke my way through it all the time. Uh, And it worked out really well for me until I got to elementary school. What happened in elementary school? In elementary, in elementary school, they do not play that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being in pre-K and being, like, one of the best students. They just really loved me. Like, oh, Kevin is so polite, well-behaved, respectful. It was great. Uh, and then I went to uh, elementary school in St. Cloud, Florida. And if you know anything about St. Cloud, it's, like, predominantly white it's like where they make white people so i was factory there it's the factory of white <laughs> people and it's all set to vanilla settings so i was probably one of the only minorities in my in my school there's maybe like a like another spanish girl and maybe one other black kid two classrooms later uh and everything that i did just wasn't received well it was just like i think it was just it's a different culture. It's two cultures meeting up completely, um, and teachers just did not – didn't ha- want to have anything to do with me. Uh, at, at best, they were like, Kevin is disrupting our class. He's distracting everybody. Uh, and at worst, he's uh, indoctrinating them into, like, all these adult themes that they shouldn't be knowing about. <laughs> And you knew about
1: the – did you have older sisters? Yeah, I have
0: have two older sisters. How much older? Uh, One is nine years older than me, and the other one is four years older than me. Okay. So big gap. Huge gap, and we had one TV in our house. So when I was like, hey, I want to watch Barney or Arthur, they're like, no, we're watching Dawson's Creek, Charmed, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer tonight. (laughs) So I'm watching all of, like, this PG-13 teenage – like rom-com shit and then like on top of that my i'd watch tv with my parents and we'd watch like martin and the fresh prince and if you've ever watched martin he's just constantly cutting on people he's roasting people cracking on people and i was like yeah i want to be that guy i want to be that
1: and every elementary or middle school has like the kids that are like the plug for adult information yeah yeah It yeah, sounds yeah, like yeah. that was you i remember there was like kids that just knew everything and you were like you just knew
0: too what much yeah just too much uh, and everyone wants to know it So uh, that's how I became, like, accepted. I think I'm, like, an anomaly in the sense that I was really nerdy growing up. I, as much as I watched Martin and all these other things, I was also, like, obsessed with Pokemon. I was a huge Dragon Ball Z guy. Power Rangers. I remember getting cracked on in school. Uh, like in first or second grade they're like you still watch Power Rangers That's a baby show I was like this is made for our age demographic (laughs) Uh, and so I would watch that stuff and what other people I guess got put in the nerd or dork category I didn't fall into that because I also had like I was like one of the best dressed kids I was one of the kids that was like I wanted to be Will Smith from the Fresh Prince so just imagine like eight-year-old me coming in like With my collar popped up and a pair of, like, shoes with no shoelaces. And I'm just, like, snapping on people in the lunchroom. It was crazy.
1: And then playing your Game Boy Advance?
0: Playing Game Boy, I'm, like, I got all the best Pokemon. I have all 150. Like, they're like, yo, who is this guy? He should be a nerd, but somehow he's getting by.
1: Dude, I think there's some... I have a little bit of a theory about Pokemon. I played the hell out of it growing up, too. I think it, like, just teaches you to really grind yeah 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 yeah. you know what i mean like you have to grind to really do it right i would just grind away for hours trying to like train them all up to absolutely like i didn't want to walk into a gym and like have any chance of getting defeated i want to walk i wanted to walk in and like one hit ko every single oh you're oh you're uh
0: you're a perfectionist yeah (laughs) yeah, 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 you're a master so so i i would say that i am a jack of all traits but a master of none I do everything to this day with exceptional average behavior <laughs> so when I played video games I played all the Pokemon but I was never the guy that was like oh hey I have to trade my my graveler with you to become a golem I gotta get all these like all these Pokemon like I was just like yeah I play. And I'm pretty decent, but I'm not the best, but I'm also yeah. not the worst.
1: Yeah, and you're that's, in the game.
0: Bro, that's me with everything. I was like a C student. I was just like, do bare minimum to get by. But you do it all. I do it all. I If you you name it, I do it. And I, I try to keep my hands in every single pot. Or I did growing up.
1: What's the biggest struggle in being a jack of all trades?
0: Uh, The, con- the constant imposter syndrome. You don't ever feel like you deserve to be anywhere because you're just like yeah I know a little bit about a lot of things but I'm not like a master by any level I think that uh there's a lot of uh confidence that needs to be had when you're uh mastering a skill set and the insecurities will start to pop up when you start feeling like yeah I, I mean I know a little bit about this but this is not really my field so yeah, yeah I constantly felt like hey I mm, do I deserve to be here I think I even feel that way now in some of my some of my endeavors
1: where's that shown up in comedy throughout the years like tell me about kind of the the milestones that you've gone through over the years it's been about five years you said
0: yeah so I've been doing comedy uh inconsistently since 2016 Uh, I started in 2016 and then I took a couple years off and then I've been rolling since right before COVID uh, about 2019 and uh and imposter syndrome shows up all over the place I think I have uh, deep-rooted insecurities when it comes to who i am and and where i'm at in comedy uh sometimes i feel like i should be further like oh man you have this huge following and you're one of the few people that has really cracked the code in orlando like you need to celebrate your wins and accept the fact that like you've done amazing things you've done monumentous things and then other times i'm like yeah but i'm not like as good of a writer as some other people or I'm not as consistent in uh uh coming up with new jokes. I remember somebody told me one time that like they try to write five new minutes a month. because uh, at in twelve min like in twelve months that's sixty minutes, that's an hour, that's a special.
1: That's a pretty quick pace for a comedian in general to have an hour every year, right? Like yeah. that's that's like exceptional. That's much, exceptional.
0: Right? That's somebody who is working on their craft at the highest level and they are they are really utilizing comedy at their full potential i will tell you that i do not create five minutes a month
1: five minutes doesn't sound like a lot of time but i would imagine that's like to actually Right, five minutes of material, that's a lot.
0: That's crushing. That's you're, a lot of jokes. Too. So to give you a, an honest idea, you start off doing uh, open mics and you do open mics at five minutes at a time. Uh, and when we say five minutes of crushing, that means like every 10 seconds you're getting a laugh. Uh, if it's a story, maybe every 30 seconds, uh, but you're consistently keeping your audience entertained and informed. And that is a extremely difficult thing to do month by month. So I still, am, like, I have a 45-minute set right now. I could probably do an hour with crowd work. And I'm doing jokes that I wrote three, four years ago. Yeah. So, yeah, there's some new stuff in there. And I, I'm fortunate that uh, a lot of my material is storytelling. Uh, So I have the ability to kind of spread it out longer. But, bro, that's so much comedy
1: what goes into good storytelling what does it take to be a good
0: storyteller i think relatability is the most important uh and likability is probably second i think somebody will listen to you for a long period of time if you're if you're likable uh dave chappelle said if you can't be funny be entertaining so if you're if you're likable and you're telling a story that's relatable it will be entertaining Um, And I think within that, exaggeration is great. Misdirections are great. Uh, Telling somebody a story that they haven't heard before is fantastic. Uh, As much as we're different as human beings, I think we all have kind of a similar lived experience. So you telling me the story about how you got your dog or how you met your girlfriend is like pretty cliche. We call it hack in the industry. Yeah. Uh, But if you can create a twist and you can make something that we didn't see coming – and it's believable, and it's likable, then it's funny. What is your,
1: what's your least favorite premise you've ever told a joke on that did the best?
0: Oh man. Uh, I actually hate the bread and butter of my openings, um, but I think I have to do it. I have to address the elephant in the room. So in my personal life, I don't really talk about race very much. I don't care as much as I might lead on in my standup. But what I noticed when I first started doing comedy is that uh, the rooms are really divided. There's a lot of urban rooms where it's like predominantly black people or there's a lot of white rooms or predominantly white uh, white people. uh, And then it's like older white people. So what I was seeing is people that were around my age uh, and people who look like me were having a harder time Uh, telling jokes in front of white people or these white rooms uh and i just wanted to address the elephant in the room like okay i'm the only black person in this room everybody else in here is like an old white person you guys look like all 44 of the 45 presidents that we've ever had (laughs) and their mistresses so let's talk about that first and then i build from there i'm like okay i like white people but this is what you guys do to piss me off and then i created uh what i call a south park mentality where it's like okay if i'm going to make fun of white people i need to make fun of everybody nobody's off limits south park has this thing where they're like if somebody is off limits then everybody needs to be off limits because if one person is not being able to be joked about then you're you're basically saying that everybody is off limits so I build my set like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm going to start off with the big one. This like this is the elephant. But now let's talk about Hispanic people. Let's talk about how black people do this. Let's talk about the LGBTQ plus community. Everybody is going to get it. And everybody's going to feel like they're a part of the show. And it's going to be done with, uh, with intentionality and love. And then from there, my set just kind of builds off of that. So – I guess to circle back to your question, I hate that I talk about race up front, but I felt like it was the one thing that I could do to break the barrier. It's like and, an icebreaker kind of. Like, and to be relatable. Because so many people do it, and I don't like the way that they do it. It's like adversarial almost. I've noticed that, yeah. Yeah, and it, and it that's not where I'm coming from with it. Like, cool. Like... I. You, uh we all know you're black. I'm white. It's like it's been told a thousand times in a thousand different ways. But like, what I'm trying to do is like, yeah, we are this, but we have way more in common than we really actually realize. So, like, let me let me give you a hard time for a couple moments, but then you'll watch me for the rest of the time. I'm gonna give myself a hard time for the majority of the show. The majority of my act is going to be about how I ain't shit, <laughs> so, yeah. and, then we'll, and then we'll build from it. So.
1: What do you think are the qualities that you have that have allowed you to succeed in comedy? Uh, man, so this is just kind
0: of like a toot-your-own-horn podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a <little bit. laughs> like, yeah, what do you do that makes you the shit, bro? Like, yo, you're so great. Why don't you, you tell us You forgot about, about the
1: second half where I break you down. <laughs> <laughs> Build you up to break you yeah. down. That's, that's our society. I love it. Uh,
0: I think uh, self-awareness is really important to me, and it's a quality that I look for and, and that I'm attracted to. Uh, in friendships and relationships and business, um, you have to know your strengths and weaknesses, and you have to know what your flaws are. Um, I think a big strength of mine is that I am self-aware, and I have like a natural uh, charisma and charm about me. I don't, I don't see it in a lot of people, and I'm a really harsh judge of uh, of comedians, uh, which is is weird because I'm also really supportive. I think that anybody can win at comedy if they're consistent enough. There'll be a lot of comics that uh, are not so good and people are like, "Oh, they should just quit. They should stop." And I'm like, "No, don't ever tell anybody that. Like, they just haven't found their voice yet or they haven't found their audience. I think that there are so many different niches. There's literally people on the internet that have millions of followers that just stare at the camera for 5 minutes at a time, and people are like, "Oh my god, I love staring videos. I love like the awkwardness of it." So, if you can build a following doing nothing but staring at a camera, there is a joke for you for your audience somewhere. Uh, but the one thing that I think that separates me from a lot of other comedians is that they don't have that self awareness. They don't have that uh, uh, that ability to see uh, to see their strengths and their their characteristics. So uh yeah i I think i'm charismatic i'm i think i'm likable correct me if i'm wrong tell me in the comments (laughs) uh and i just i just enjoy what i do like i go up there with love and and admiration for for this art form
1: now that i have built you up yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) shit on me what is i'm gonna go a little bit different direction what's the dark side of being in comedy that people don't talk about
0: it's, it's terrible. I don't know why anybody would be a comedian. If you're watching this and you're like, oh, I think I could do this. I think I should do this. Don't do it. That's,
1: Anyone can do it, yeah. but don't.
0: don't. You have to be consistent. You have to be disciplined. I think that anybody can do it. Anybody can be a stand-up comedian, but I don't, I don't think that 99% of the people on this planet have what it takes to stick through it. Cause you're bad in the beginning. You're so, so bad. Um, And I think I'm lucky that here in Florida, there was a lot of opportunities to get up on stage. So the name of the game is consistency. How much time can like, the the faster you get up on stage and the more you get on stage, the better you become. And I knew that very early on. So I would try to hit a mic a night and for five nights a week, bomb, bomb, bomb. Try, I'm gonna try this joke out, try this joke out in a different way. Um, and make it and keep on trying to work it. And then eventually I made friends out there, I got pretty decent, I started making content, and people started putting me on shows. But that's not gonna be the reality for everybody. So many times that like, you think that you should be further than you are, and it's just not the case, you're just not there yet you have to constantly write you have to constantly get on stage you have to deal with rejection Uh, and if you're not good at dealing with rejection i would not recommend stand-up comedy i was a whore before i was a comedian before during and currently i have been a whore for a long time and i think what makes me decent at uh picking up chicks quote unquote if you will uh, is that i have no shame of being rejected i do not care I wanna, uh, first impression, let's just be friends. I'm gonna be friends with everybody at the bar. Uh, second level, do we find each other attractive? And third level, if we find each other attractive, why are we not dating right now? And that's just my mentality of how I go through That's even how I make friends, I just cut it down two steps back. Like, I'm never gonna find out if we're attracted to each other. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> I, I don't care if you think I'm cute. Well, we could be boys, we could be friends. Uh,
1: Where does that come from for you? Why are you good at facing rejection? Where'd you learn that?
0: I think that I just dealt with rejection growing up. I think being like one of the only uh, people of color in a predominantly white school, I was not expecting everybody to like me. And whenever it didn't happen, I was okay with that. Uh, I think that also, uh, if I'm being truthful, I don't think that my parents like me. I (laughs) I think that they love me. They are so supportive. My mom just came to New York and surprised me and and showed up at one of my shows. (laughs) Uh, My dad called me to wish me good luck before I got on stage. Like, my parents love me to death. This is not like a (laughs) woe is me moment. Uh, But growing up, I definitely felt like I was in the way and I was an annoyance. Mm. And I felt I truly, truly felt like these people don't like me. And that's okay with me. Like, they feed me. They clothe me. They take care of me. But there was never a, like, hey, I want to hang out with Kevin today. Like, I wonder what Kevin's up to. Like, let They would invite me into their world to do what they're doing. But they would never, in, like, step into my world. Like, I just want to, like, hang out with you on your level. And I think that's important Uh, growing up. Like, for somebody to take interest in the things that you care about and the things that you like. So, if I felt like my – the people that I'm closest to don't even – truly accept me for who i am like why do i care what, what who else does uh and i also think there's a numbers game to it a lot of times like in my mind i'm just like a lot of people like me i'm a pretty likable person so if i don't if i find somebody who doesn't or if i get rejected i'm like oh the numbers are still in my favor yeah yeah i'm like oh i think most people like me
1: i want to ask you a kind of a hard question here you talked about consistency you quit for two years yeah. what happened there because obviously you, you made it back, which yeah. is awesome. But what happened there, and how did you overcome that?
0: So I didn't think that I was a real comedian my first year in. Um, I would go to one particular open mic, and they had it twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, and I would go twice a week and hang out with the other more established comics. And I quickly kind of became friends, became like a, like a well-known face. I would get on some showcases. And I started moving up the ranks. Um, and then there was this guy who had been doing comedy for like four years at a high level, but he would always go to the open mics every week. And he had opened for like big names, like Tommy Davidson, Bernie Bernie Mac, all these different people. Uh, and he was just somebody I idolized. He actually just recently passed away, rest in peace Genesis. Um, but he took a liking to me and was like, young man, you are very funny, you got something um and i don't know maybe he said that to everybody but i took it like really serious uh so i would just try to hang out with him as much as i can and some of the other people in his circle and i would make them laugh off stage i was like a comics comic uh at a early age so like probably wasn't that great but it just the fact that i was making them laugh was huge to me uh and he ended up putting me on a show he had his own show Uh, And he's like, I want you to host it. And here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna sell tickets for $10 a piece. Every ticket that you can sell, I'll let you keep the $10. So I ended up selling like 25 tickets. uh, And I got paid really well for somebody who had only been doing comedy for a year. But the one thing that I did not do was practice for that show. (laughs) So this is the first time that people are coming to see me in drolls. The room probably fit. They paid money that's coming to you. They the room probably fit 40 people. And I brought 25 of those 40 people. So it's all my people. Yeah. And all the comics are like, yo, Kev, you did that. And all of the people are like, oh, I'm so excited to watch you perform. Uh, and it's a terrible idea for somebody who's never done or hasn't done comedy long enough to try to do that. Cause I went up there and I ate shit, bro. (laughs) I was so bad. Like I kept on saying to myself, Oh, I'll write stuff. I'll, I'll write jokes by that time. They gave me like three months. It was like, I had a long time and I just wasn't preparing. So I went out there and tried to like improv and then it didn't work. And I tried to do some of the stuff I did at the open mic and it was like cringe funny, and then I got off stage, and the thing as a host, after you bomb, you have to bring up people who are better than you, and they do good, and then you have to get back on stage every time in between yeah. to bring the next person up. So you're People con- are like, God, get this guy off the stage. You got to constantly <laughs> go back up there time after time after you just finished sucking. Like, and it's so bad. So everybody else on the show was amazing. They had, like – and there was one other guy who had been doing comedy just as long as me, uh, and he's actually doing really good. Uh, Shout-out to Sean Philippe. Uh, this dude is super hilarious. But we had both been in the game for about the same amount of time, uh, and he murdered that night. He had a fire set. And so I'm like, this this night couldn't have gone any worse. And, like, people were coming up to me afterwards, and like, oh, you did such a good job. And I'm like, no, I this is terrible. This is so bad. So – I might have done maybe one or two shows after that, but I was just so like mortified that I did that, that I was just like, man, I'm, I'm, I'll go to the next mic. I kept telling myself, I'll go, I'll go in two weeks. I'll go in a month. I'll go in six months. And before I knew it, it was like two years later. And I, I'd still, had been telling everybody, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a comedian. I'm a stand-up comedian. And they're like, oh, when do you do shows? And I'm like, oh, I just, I don't have anything right now. And was working in a a corporate job. it becomes
1: like a vicious cycle at that point,
0: yeah, and it was just fear more than anything. It's like it's like going to the gym uh, and then you had like a really bad binge where you just like ate poorly for a while and then you just stopped going mm-hmm. you're you're still you still pay a membership at that gym. you're still a gym person, but you're just not going. Uh, and I just wasn't going. So I had a job. I was working in corporate in Maitland, and I made this huge excuse for myself. I was like, all of comedy happens in Orlando. I do shows in Maitland or I do work in Maitland. I have to go back to St. Cloud where I live to work out, and it doesn't make sense for me to have to drive to Maitland to Orlando, back to Maitland to Orlando. So I was like, I just can't do comedy. I wish I could, but I can't. Mm, I say, okay. Uh, and then eventually it was like an excuse it was a super excuse it was a super mm-hmm. sane excuse uh eventually i just uh wasn't happy in the job and it wasn't something i wanted to do so i actually quit my job to do comedy again yeah i was i was making pretty decent money and i was just like this is just not what i'm called to do uh and i was talking to somebody else who was not a comedian but kind of in the industry and they were like you can get books for commercials you can drive uber or uber eats or something you can do something to make money on the side and then you could really be working on your craft so you should do that and it sounded like a really good idea in theory so i was like oh yeah i'll just be a comedian i'll just quit my job and be a comedian Uh, Meanwhile, you haven't done it in two years. I haven't done it. I don't have any (laughs) connections. I don't have any way to be a comedian. Uh, But fortunately, right as this happened, COVID-19 happened and the pandemic Uh, 2020 starts and nobody's working anyway. Everybody's laid off. Nobody has jobs. And I literally just coasted on that for six months probably. Started doing mics. There was mics. They were kind of semi-regular. And the name of the game at this time was content. Mm-hmm. All of the people who had been doing comedy two years ago with me, they were now going viral on TikTok and Instagram, just making sketches. And like, they were doing this thing where, like, they would just talk to themselves and they'd be multiple different characters. Yeah, you remember I that? saw some of that. Yeah, so, like, oh, I'll... And then there's this... all these
1: little, like, shows and series. Like, I remember Andrew Schultz got huge during that. Like,
0: Yeah, exactly. People so, really blew up during COVID. So you'd wear five shirts, one pink, one red, one yellow, one black, and you'd be five different characters. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all of my friends are doing this, or my comedian peers. I was like, I could do something like this. Yeah. Um, so I just started making content myself, and it was bad. It was terrible. Um, but consistently there uh and then i was doing some shows and i was still able to bring people to shows which kind of set me apart from other comedians and bro five years later this is where i'm at now it's like yes i'm doing this regularly and i'm doing it full time so
1: what hits harder getting like complete silence or getting like bad reception at a show or getting trashed on in the comments Uh, for your content
0: i I would say a show is way worse than content like i expect there to be trolls online and i don't think the trolls in my personal experience they don't come until my videos start going crazy yeah so whenever i have like 50 or 60 likes on something there's no trolls there it's just it's like almost like the silence is worse Mm -hmm. so when when my video does a hundred thousand views and then people are like this is shit this is crap i'm like well, hundred thousand other people don't think so. So why, why do I care yeah. what you think?
1: And thanks for the engagement. <laughs> yeah, thanks for
0: yeah. You're helping me. You're helping my algorithms. Uh, it doesn't happen like people think it happens on stage. Like nobody's really mean to me. People are just kind of supportive or they're quiet. Uh, I've never been booed. I've never had a you suck. I never had anybody come up to me after the show like oh I didn't enjoy that. Um, I've had like some critiques or people like being offended by the the comedy. But like I'll take that like all day long. It's just yeah. kind of case by case. But uh the silence is is maddening. Bro. Definitely. <laughs> it's, so, it's so crazy when you crack a joke and you think that like you're knocking it out of the park and then everyone just kind of looks at you. <laughs> and then you're like, well, Yeah, that's that's awful. Yeah. Uh, there, was a Very humbling. Of, there was a point. There was a point in time, and I think that all comedians do this, like when I wasn't as seasoned, I would acknowledge it. I'm like, okay, so that didn't work. And then that would get a laugh. Because They're like, okay, there he's acknowledging the awkwardness, uh, and then I would get laughs based on not getting laughs, but that's a super toxic crutch to take. Mm. And a lot of comics get, uh, get consumed in the like thinking that if they acknowledge how unfunny they are, that it's funny. And I never, where do you go from there? Yeah, it's still I, not funny. I never wanted to fall into that category. So, the better thing to do, the more professional thing to do is to not acknowledge that it it didn't work because the audience doesn't know when it doesn't work for the most part. Like, unless that's, like, your big finisher, it's better to not say anything and then just move on because, like, now you're kind of breaking the fourth wall and you're acknowledging a part of the show. And it audience members are really receptive and they're really smart. If you do that one, two, or three times, then they're counting those things in their mind. Like, this guy told three jokes that didn't work it's better to not say anything and then at the end of the show you've been on stage for 10 minutes you had all the time that they did laugh they don't remember the times that it didn't work so
1: got a kind of out of nowhere type of question sure do you ever put yourself in crazy situations to like to create a story Uh, on stage it just
0: in life no 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 uh i think I have a lot of reverence or respect for guys who do do that. I think there is a whole generation of people who just bring out their camera or hang out with their friends and try to create moments content wise. And I think that I've been fortunate enough that I have a pretty interesting life as is. So I don't try to fish for that type of thing. in my regular life, bro, wild shit just happens to me all the time. And because, like, I'm such an avid dater, worst case scenario, I just have a million bad dating experiences. And I could tell stories about that all day long. I got fleas one time. Let's get home- into that. You can, <laughs> wait, wait. Tell me about that. What? <laughs> wait. I got fleas one time from hanging out with a with a girl. and <laughs> And, like, you can't make this kind of stuff up. So, like, why would I ever – like, go go to the middle of. Was well, uh, she an
1: Australian Shepherd? <laughs> you're right, exactly.
0: No, this. Do uh, you want to hear the story? Yeah. Okay. So I'm constantly on uh, what I like to call home mode, or I'm like uh, <laughs> surfing Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, DMing, like, oh man, this is a girl I know from high school. I haven't talked to her in 10 years.
1: No dating apps, straight to the socials.
0: And then I found out about dating apps. So that's <laughs> another layer. I, I'm okay. talking to like throwback, probably like 2013, 2014, like a few years after I graduated high school. I'm in Facebook DMs. I'm DMing girls like, oh man, I graduated her two years ago. I wonder, what, like, am I in there? Uh, and then I found out about, uh, I found out about uh, dating apps. And and I don't like dating apps for meeting strangers. I think that's like a cool bonus but really what i'm on data gaps for is to see if i can recognize people that i know okay cuz it's a good in and then you're like
1: context is there yeah cuz it's like that's a, like what you said earlier like we're we've got some kind of
0: context for why we know each other why we met to yes, talk about exactly like context is everything for yeah. me so if i see a girl on tinder that i went to high school with That i'm like oh i I could already just send her a friend request on facebook that seems organic enough oh we went to high school together and then i can like message her oh hey long time no talk i haven't talked to you in a while you know hey i do comedy now i don't i don't know if you have a boyfriend or something but maybe i can get you guys tickets to my show oh you don't have a boyfriend that's crazy uh well i'm gonna be at this place this weekend do you want to grab a drink and maybe like catch up it's been a long time sure Bet, I'm in there. <laughs> Bro, it's such a simple, easy cheat code. And I had been doing that since probably I was like 18, 19, 20. And it it's very effective for me. Uh, a wise man taught me at a young age that if you cast 10 nets... You might not catch any fish. But if you cast a hundred nets, you will catch 10 fish. So I'm casting these nets all over the place, bro. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tinder Hinge, Bumble, you you name it. I'm doing it. Um, and so this girl that I knew from middle school, like not even high school, super throwback, uh, it was like, On Facebook, and I just ended up messaging her, Uh, getting to talk, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I had a crush on you back in the day, but you know, I had a boyfriend. I have a boyfriend, but we just broke up. It's actually super hard. Breakup has been really hard for me." And I'm like, "Oh, you don't say (laughs) word. Oh, well, I don't know. Why don't let's just go to Ale House, get a Zinger, Melon and let's talk about it. Like, let's just (laughs) let's just chat it up." And she was like, "Okay, well, I'm staying with my my girlfriend tonight. My female friend. Is it cool if she comes with?" And I was like, yeah, no problem. Yeah, bring her. So I quickly run to my phone, call up my boy. Like, this dude is, like, my best friend. Uh, and I was like, bro, no questions asked. I need a friend card. I need you. I need you. Can't ask me any questions. You just got to come through for me.
1: There's a mountain melt in it
0: for you, bro. Yeah, whatever you want, your drink's on me tonight. Uh, and just the best kind of guy. He was like, tell me where to be and where and what time. How should I dress? And I'm like, cool, bet. So, We all go to Ale House, super platonic. We're just laughing. We're sharing margarita pictures. Drinks are flowing. Uh, Everybody's having a good time. It's not intimate. It's not romantic. It's just a good friend gathering. Two guys, two girls. Uh, So eventually at some point, uh, the friend of my friend was like, hey, want to go back to my place and we can uh, keep drinking there. And it's already like almost two in the morning. So I'm like, yeah, sure. Let's do that. We drive to the friend's house. It's after two now, and she doesn't have any alcohol at her place, and there's no place to buy alcohol at this time. So we're we're all kind of sipping on like a quarter bottle of Malibu, playing spin the bottle, playing truth or dare, you name it. Never have I ever. Super just old school shit. Yeah. Uh, and before I know it, the girl that I initially uh, hit, hit up, uh, like the girl I knew from middle school, she and my boy start making out. I was like, All right, hey, bro, Damn. get it how you live it. But <laughs> luckily, there's a consolation prize over here. So I start talking to her friend, and we start hitting it off. Uh, and they go to the bedroom, and the girl's like, oh, hey, I only have one bedroom, but, like, we can hook up here on the floor. And I see these stray cats walking in. I didn't think anything of it. I was like, everybody's got cats. We got cats. It's cats. It's fun. It's fun. Uh, and then she's like, oh, let's just go to the bedroom. Like, they'll be on the bed. We'll be on the floor so we end up hooking up and like after the hookup i'm just mad itchy all (laughs) over the place i'm like hella itchy i'm like what is going on right now uh and then i talked to my boy i was like yo bro are you itchy he's like no not at all what's going on and i'm like yo i can't stop scratching and then i go and i look into it the next day and i literally am covered in fleas like my whole arms are bit up and my legs are bit up I go to the doctor, like, yo, you, bro, you have fleas, man. You got, you got <laughs> that fleas. has to be the
1: most humbling thing to ever hear. Are you you then, have fleas. I'm like,
0: am I homeless? What am I, a street <laughs> yeah. rat? And I talk to the girl. She's like, yeah, these uh, these cats are not my cats. I just like uh, take strays in off the street and I like feed them and like give them a home. I just I just really care about the animals. And I'm like, you gave me fleas. <laughs> like, I I almost would rather have syphilis. Like, why why did you burn me? Like, God. And she was just so adamant about using a condom I was like yeah we didn't get an STD we didn't get pregnant but I have fucking fleas bro so yeah it could be worse it can always be worse but yeah when things like that happen it kind of it makes it really uh difficult for me to want to make up a story I don't know how to make up a story worse than fleas yeah
1: yeah. they just happen naturally Mm. what do you think it is about you that gets you in those situations
0: I think that uh I'm a whore for a good time I'm just a If I'm really being like full transparent, I think I just have like this natural desire to be liked by women. Uh, I I think ultimately it goes back to the whole, my parents don't like me, they love me type thing. I didn't get that type of uh, attention or or affection growing up that I wanted, that I think I desperately needed. So I constantly look for it in other places. And there's like no better feeling for me than knowing like this girl's attracted to me. This girl's interested in me. I'm interested too. Let's make something happen out of it. And I think that I became friends with a lot of dudes and I be like, I became kind of admired in their eyes of like, this guy is fearless. He'll talk to anybody. He'll go up to the bar. He's kind of like the wingman's wingman. He's good at it. So like, I kind of want to be around this guy. So I think just from getting that type of validation from guys and getting that kind of like acceptance from women just made, it, it's like, a another reason that you do stand up. I think it, there's like a lot of ego involved in it. I think there's a lot of narcissism involved in
1: it. We were talking about that a little bit. I wanted to get into that. I, that's a take I had never quite heard before, but tell me a little bit about like how you came to realize that, like how you put that together personally.
0: I think that there needs that I think, in order to do any art form, there has to be like a strong level of narcissism. Um, I think best case scenario, you really just need to believe in yourself and have the confidence that you can put yourself out there for your art. Um, But at a high level, at excellence, you have to believe that you can be the best because anybody can paint a picture or anybody can sing a song, but what separates you from all the other millions of people that are doing it? There's like a level of narcissism that comes from you thinking that you can earn uh, a lifestyle or you can have a career in this. Like, otherwise you would just be doing it as a hobby or you would just be doing it for like casual experience. And I don't think that anybody who does it at that level does it at a high enough level. Um, What I will say is I think that narcissism gets a bad rep. Um, I think that we're in the age of mental health Uh, And there's so many, there's so many of these trigger words or buzzwords like gaslighting and toxic and narcissism and ego and all these other things that in uh, extreme are terrible. Like, like anybody who's a narcissist at the most extreme level, might be dangerous or volatile, but everything is decent in moderation. And I think that you need to have some level of narcissism in order to really do an art and do it at a high level. So As a comedian, I think I'm extremely narcissistic. Uh, I think I have a huge ego uh, to get to just want the likes and the views and the following and the fans and the admiration there. There's like a there has to be a level of like, bro, like your ego. How bruised is your ego that you need all this, that like food, water and shelter is not enough for you. You have to have the. You have to be liked as well. You have to be loved. Uh, And I I crave that, bro. If I don't put out content every few days, I start itching like I got fleas. I start, <laughs> I start feeling like, oh my gosh, like, do you're people... Like,
1: you're like, is that grow around here yeah, somewhere?
0: Do people like me? Do people even want me around? And then I start thinking like, man, this is probably why I'm single. Nobody likes me. I'm not... I ain't shit. And then you just build up all of these, like, stories in your head of, like, how you're just garbage. So... I'm like I got I gotta constantly keep working. I gotta get on stage. I gotta get people to like me. I gotta get people to laugh, and uh, I'm constantly chasing the high of the last show. You're only as good as your last time on stage. So now that I'm good enough to keep getting on stage, like I had a great show uh, Sunday, but I haven't done comedy in two days, and I'm like jonesing. Like, go! I gotta get back on stage. I gotta Orlando's gotta see me again. I gotta do a show out here. Uh, so yeah, it, it it becomes like an like an addiction almost.
1: What's the destructive side of that, and how do you check it?
0: Uh, I don't think that I am a master of my addiction by any means, so I probably am not the best person to check things. I, I am really uh, destructive uh, and self-destructive in a sense that if I'm not doing good in comedy or if I'm not doing stuff constantly, I feel like a failure. Uh, so I'm constantly making content i talked to somebody in new york recently and they were like you put out three or four clips a week that's outrageous that's crazy how are you doing it so much and i'm like other people are doing it more than me some people are doing two clips a day like i i don't know there's just so like it's subjective how hard you work work is is up to you how much you can do and uh I feel good that I do maybe five shows a week, but other people probably look at that like, what is that? Like I do two shows a night or I I try to get up on stage. I travel further for shows, I'm driving to places, but I just try to do enough to feed my ego. And right now it is sustainable, but I don't know how long it is sustainable for. I'm so afraid, definitely afraid of burnout. I'm afraid of like, hating this one day and i don't feel that way now so maybe it'll never happen but there's definitely like a fear in the back of my mind of like can you do this forever can you be consistent can you be creative for as long as you need to be until you can become famous
1: what does it mean to you to be creative like how do you how do you put yourself in that headspace if you're not like if you're struggling to get in it does it happen naturally for you
0: so I have to, I've had to deal with creativity more now that I have this viral series on TikTok and Instagram. Uh, I never felt pressure to be creative before. Cause I was just like, whenever I think of something, I'll make it and who cares, right? Like uh, I'll just do it when I feel it. But now I feel like people are waiting for videos. So if I don't make something in like four or five days, I'm like, I'm letting people down. People... 30,000 people followed me and I owe them. I have an obligation to keep them entertained. Um, So it's hard for me, like creativity. Sometimes I don't know what to talk about. And the other problem that I have is that I have like uh, sponsors and promo now. So people will reach out to me and be like, hey, can you make a video promoting my business, my venue, my thing? Uh, And I always say yes first because like, I I guess, like, the greed of it all, of, like, uh, you don't want to say no to money. Uh, But oftentimes, I don't know how to promote their shit. (laughs) And I have no idea, like, how do I make a video about a, a festival, like, and be funny and creative? I'm like, yeah, I could tell you about the festival, but is that good enough? Like, so I'm like, okay, and how do I mix that in with other content because I'm not just making a video about this. I also have to talk about uh, the skating rink or the the venue downtown, the restaurant. Like, how do I make all of these things cohesive? And it takes a lot of creativity to be like, not only do you have to write a script for this video, but you have to make it co- cohesive and you have to make it uh, to the point that this specific demographic will be interested in the whole 60 second video um so yeah it's it's definitely a new challenge for me but it, it's been a lot of fun it's been rewarding uh i can only count on maybe one hand the time i've like the number of times that i've had writer's block that i couldn't think of anything uh and then eventually i just leave it and come back to it and it'll come but mostly in the mornings i wake up and like all right these are the three video or like, these are the three places i have to talk about today what do i know about them and then from like there i can start like improvising and writing more and I write so much more for content than I ever had in stand up, uh, and it's weird because I think that I'm afraid of the scrutiny of my peers in comedy, where I don't have that in content. There's no internet sensation that's just like, "Oh, this is this is hack. This is crap." Like the numbers speak for itself. So like if There's no
1: old guard watching you. Yeah,
0: if you and me are both content creators, you could message me essentially and be like, I don't like your content, it's crap. And I'm like, well, I have 100,000 views on it. So Mm -hmm. why do I care what you think? And stand up, it's not like that. If you make a joke that doesn't do it. So you first start at open mics and open mics are really hard because people are not there for comedy for the most part. They're there at the bar- hitting on their date for the first time or watching a game. And then they're like, all right, we're going to start up stand-up comedy in 10 minutes. Everybody ready? And people are like, fuck. They're like, I'm here for this. So it's already hard to make that type of audience laugh. But if you can make them laugh, then you know you got something good. Uh, But the other pressure of it is that uh, comedians go and watch your stuff. And some of them are like really judgy. (laughs) And they're like, oh. Like And you could kind of see the look on their face. They don't really ever say anything. Comics are like kind of passive-aggressive. But me personally, and other comics will lie to you or or other comics maybe don't feel this way. Um, Like, oh, why do you care what comics think? That's what they'll say. They'll be like, oh, don't do it for them. You're doing it for the audience. I do not have that level of confidence. I want to make everybody in the room laugh, including the bar staff, including the other comics in the room, including the audience. And what – You were talking about imposter syndrome earlier. What
1: worse trigger for imposter syndrome than getting told you suck by the people that have been doing it for longer? That's rough.
0: And sometimes they're not even more established than you. Sometimes they're on the same level or lower than you. Uh, I have, like, a certain level of reverence in comedy right now because of my following and because of how long I've been doing it. So some of the younger guys look up to me, and I know that. uh, And none of the older guys give me a hard time like they're it's a, like a really good respect level but there was a point in time that I was in maybe 2 or 3 years in comedy and I felt like I just was like a black sheep like I wasn't in I wasn't on the inside of it um and it could have all been in my head all the comics I think they're more worried about their set they don't give a shit about what you're doing they're thinking about themselves but in my mind I was like this person gets so much Praise when he gets off stage. Everybody talks to him. They give him feedback, and this person doesn't get shit. Everybody kind of shits on them, and they're like, they're kind of like on their own. And I'm just kind of like in the middle of that, and I hated that. It was like the one time in my life that I was like, I either want to be the best or the worst. Mm. Uh, and I don't think that I'm, you get clarity either way. Yeah, like you're constantly wondering, should I be here? Should I be doing this? Is this something that I am qualified to do? So you just want anything. You want somebody to be like, hey, bro, you suck. Yeah. And, and maybe that motivates you to try harder or be like, yo, bro, you're mad. Excuse me. You're mad good. You need to, like, keep doing this. But when you get nothing, you're like, fuck, is this even for me? Yeah. And that was, that's where I was for just so long in comedy
1: what got you through those moments i think a lot of people deal with that in so many areas like outside of comedy even like what gets you through those moments where you're like shit like i don't know if i if i've got this in
0: me uh i think non-comedy people being supportive of me like just friends family facebook following like people that i grew up with Everybody is like, oh, I'm so proud of you that you're doing this. You're chasing your dreams and you're doing it. They don't see all of the highs and lows. They just see when I post after like a great show, like, hey, oh, I am so thankful to be doing Comedy at the Improv or I'm so grateful I was nominated as one of Orlando's best comedians in 2023 and everyone was like cheering. Um, but even before I had any of those accolades, I would just post content or post stuff from my shows. And I think because it, comedy is such a like a rare career that people have like this deep-rooted admiration like wow you're chasing your dreams you have the courage to do this I could never I'm so proud of you I'm so impressed and uh, just getting that from like regular people really spurred me on and it also made me not want to stop because I'm like I'm kind of like people are sort of vicariously living through me maybe. Mm -hmm. And I'm like I'd be letting people down if I don't do – if I don't master this. I have to master this because they all think I'm great. They all think, oh, he was so funny in school. He was so funny at work. Like he's going to be the next big thing. I I have to. I have to do it. I have to make – I can't like let them down.
1: Do you think you'll expand beyond Orlando and beyond Florida more and more? I know – you just got back from New York. It was there. You were there for your first time. It sounded like it went really well. Congrats on that. Thank you. Do you think you'll kind of run with that?
0: Yeah. Uh, my goal when I started doing comedy was to be the best com- uh, comedian in St. Cloud and then be the best comedian in Kissimmee, yeah. uh, take over Orlando, be the best comedian there and in the state and in the country and in the world. Um, it was... It, seemed like something that was pretty feasible for st cloud i was the only comedian <laughs> i think is too and it happens or happens immediately immediately but i but even still even if i am the only one i don't feel like i'm the best until somebody or till i can acknowledge that i'm the best so now yes i think that i am osceola county's best comedian i don't know how many others are out there if you're in osceola county and you're a comedian you're better than me i'm sorry but i'm the best uh and Orlando, I'm not the best, but I'm I'm on track. I'm on track to do what I need to do. I want to be the best comedian out of Orlando, um, and then Florida. I want to. I want when people think of Florida comedy, they think Kevin. Um, Kevin Hart is from Philadelphia, and when I think of comedy in Philly, I think of Kevin Hart. That's what I want to be for Orlando or for Florida, and then the country, bro. I just want to take over.
1: One year from now. Imagine this, you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you're saying, I believe that I am the best comic in Orlando. What had to happen to
0: get you there? I have to be a consistent headliner that is selling out shows. I I gotta do the Orlando improv. I have to headline that on my own. I gotta headline my own independent shows. And I just have to be a household name. I gotta be recognizable. I have to be a comic... They can go to any comedy club in the country and at least get booked. They have to know who I am. If I if I want to go to Seattle or New York or Wyoming or Austin, Texas, my following from the internet and my stand-up should be well enough known that even a booker who's not from here could be like, yes, that, that's Kevin. Of course I know Kevin Dean. He's huge.
1: You told me off air that you were going to New York and you had basically negotiated that, like, if you they were like if you can get four or five people in the door like you did a great job like that's what we would kind of need from you and you got like what 20 25 25 people in there was that kind of a sign for you that
0: it's time to
1: expand more
0: yeah i um i didn't know what to expect with new york and there is this um kind of reverence that i think i have as a comedian because all of the greats go through new york New York is like the holy mecca of comedy. We have The Cellar. We have Gotham. We have all of these shows where like, man, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, uh, Andrew Schultz, all these people are are going and making a name for themselves. Jerry Seinfeld are making a name for themselves in New York. So if I go to New York, I have to be the most professional. I have to be the best. I have to represent Orlando in the best way. Uh, and honestly, I probably could have gone to New York two or three years ago at my comedy level and got booked on the shows that i got booked on this past weekend i think that i put it too high on a pedestal uh and i'm much further in my career than what i sold myself for so when i went this time five years in i should have been on showcases where i could feature for 10 15 20 minutes and i should be recognizable because i have the following to bring people. I have the material and I have the talent to get me that far. But I just thought in my mind, well, if all of uh, the best people come from New York, I gotta start at the bottom and work my way up. So I did uh, learn a little lesson a couple months back in May. I went to Dallas with with no prior networking and I only was able to get on open mics and no disrespect to open mic comedians, but I'm better than open mics. So I said, next time that I travel to another state, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to at least get on showcases. So I reached out to the comedians that I knew in New York and they got me in touch with Booker's who put me on shows. And I was really grateful for that. All of the shows that I did had full audiences. It was real shows. It wasn't an open mic and they were good. But I'm also at a higher level than even that now. Like no arrogance but the level i'm at in comedy i needed to be doing paid showcases for bigger crowds bigger audience especially with what i bring to the table being able to bring 25 people plus and that was me not even trying that was just basic sharing um so now that i know for new york for the next time like i i want to go bigger i gotta i i have to aspire to at least try to get into the cellar Maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe it's, it's still not there yet, but at least try. And then from there, work it. Instead of trying to go from the bottom to the top, go to the top to the bottom and figure out where I'm at. Because maybe I'm not good enough to get to that level yet, but it's better to kind of shoot for the stars and land on the moon than being at the level that I was at and feeling like I'm too big for these bridges here.
1: I want to talk about something else we were talking about off air about how you were talking about how there's audiences of, um, of comedians now that are kind of getting trained to behave the wrong way at a show because of social media. Yes. How do comedians combat that going forward? Is this going to be, is this a solvable issue? Do you see this becoming worse?
0: I think that it is a catch 22 and it's a double-edged sword. I think that it's training this generation of comedians to uh think on their feet and be quick-witted and i think it also sets people apart who don't have the ability to do that um but just a little backstory of what we're talking about i think there uh has there's an age of comedy uh because of TikTok and social media where people feel like crowd work is what stand-up comedy is so the bad end of that is that people go to shows and they're afraid to sit in the first two rows because they're like, "Oh, the comic, the comedian is going to make fun of me, and I don't want the spotlight on me." Uh, and then worse than that, there are people who go to shows that think that they're going to be part of the show and they just yell out, shout out, uh, and talk, and they think, "Oh, I'm I'm making the show better. I'm giving the com- the comedian fodder, and they're gonna they're gonna play around with me, and we'll have some banter, and it'll be fun." Or I might make it on a clip that goes viral. Exactly. So, right now, because there is a fear that comics had, and I think that uh, Andrew Schultz did something really cool, where he would post clips from his uh, from his sets of him doing crowd work, and it created a solution of for people that were or comedians that were like i don't want all of my clips on the internet because then why would you come see me live if you can just watch all of my material online so the solution to that is i'll just post crowd work clips it's i can't replicate that again so it's gonna be wasted but it was really funny boom here it goes but now what that's created is a generation of people who only have seen stand up on tiktok and they think that's what comedy is so when people are doing bits or they're doing their act people don't like that as much. People are not as – like, they're not receptive to it as much because they're like, this isn't off the top. This isn't made up. This is improv. Um, And the problem with that, a lot of times the stuff that people are doing for crowd work is also not improv. It's just, like, things that they expected for or wrote for and made Mm. that. Um, And it's just creating, like, I think a really dangerous uh, dynamic in comedy where people – are going, expecting a certain thing. Um, But the beautiful side of that is that I can do that shit. Uh, Yeah, you can still take advantage of it. Yeah, yeah. I love quick-wittedness. I love improv. I'm really good at crowd work. Um, And if it doesn't work, I have my material in my back seat, in my back pocket. Um, But I I think that there – I don't think that there's a solution to it. I think for – as long as we're in this microwave age of uh, wanting – uh, instant gratification there's always going to be that uh, and I think that good comics will just kind of stand out They're like your material will be your material people will... your core audience I think as a professional comic is not the whole world you have a bunch of people who like Jerry Seinfeld and then a bunch of other people that don't get that humor and for every person that you meet that loves Kevin Hart You'll meet three people that are like, oh, he used to be good, but I don't like him anymore. He's, he's too mainstream. He's whatever. Um, and I think the makings of a good comic is somebody who has a niche and a core audience, and they come for that. And then it doesn't have to be all the other stuff. I think you make it as a really good comic when you have
1: a niche. Well, comedy is something that resonates with everyone. And if you do the math, if, you have, if there's a million people that like your stuff, there's – eight billion people in the world yeah that's literally like it's that much of a percent yeah of the world yeah that it takes to have a million people that love your stuff that's how that's how much there's an
0: audience for everyone there is literally an audience for everybody there is somebody on the internet that is going viral right now just just drinking a bottle of water they're like, every day at 3 o'clock, I post a video of me opening a bottle of Dasani and I drink it. And people come for it and they, they've they gotten thousands upon thousands of views drinking water. There's a whole demographic of women that do nothing else and they're not showing off their body. I'm not talking about OnlyFans girls. They just are eye level with the camera and people are obsessed with their eyes and they watch them every day consistently. So how much more can you, like comedy is an art form and it's a craft. Your comedy is good enough to develop a niche. You will find your audience if you just stay consistent. The guy who shouts and screams about Ghostbusters, that's his whole material, his whole set is just shitting on the Ghostbusters franchise. There are a million people who would love to hear nothing more than you just be like, yeah, Dan Aykroyd's a fat bitch. I hate him. <laughs> cool, bro. Do that. Do that. Just do it consistently and do it for you. Don't do it for, the, like, the following. Uh, I remember I was uh, – like, I'm a huge Arthur fan. You know, like the the PBS yeah, d- oh, d- yeah. show Arthur. With the, the little meme of Yeah, all, all, of, all of that. Like, I, oh, grew, yeah. I grew up on Arthur. And I think I might yeah. be the only guy who – Fucks bitches and also likes Arthur. <laughs> but I I just was watching it one day as an adult uh, while I'm working from home. It was just like like comfort in the background. And I was getting annoyed with uh, they have like this in the middle part of Arthur where they talk to kids in like elementary school. Now word from us kids. And I started a series uh, called Now a Word From Me where I just shit on them for a minute. I just talk so much shit about all of these kids (laughs) in the Arthur show. And I just like made fun of them. And I made it for me. I didn't think I had any Arthur followers or Arthur fans. None of my friends watch Arthur. And the video got like 500,000 views on TikTok. And I was like, oh, shit, this is a series. Boom. So I just started making these videos regularly. I'm like, I had no idea that there was anybody in 2023 who cared about Arthur or even knew what I was talking about. I simply just made a video because I wanted to make the. Video. That is a
1: niche of a niche of a niche about talking they, shit about the kids and the little middle
0: of Arthur. Yeah, and they and they have that for everything. It it, it exists like you can literally make uh, a niche video about the X Men animated series franchise about freaking High Noon's. If you wanted to make a, a a series about why High Noon's are better than Truly, but not as good as White Claw. Bro, people would tune into that. And they're like, oh my god, my girl loves high nudes. Mm -hmm. And they send that shit to everybody in their group chats. And next thing you know, you're freaking viral, bro.
1: I'm like internally kicking myself right now because me and some friends did like tasting parties for a while of all the new Truly
0: flavors. Yeah. We should have just made TikToks like rating them. You can do it for anything. If there is something that you love and that you know more about it than you would say the average person, make content about it. I actually get frustrated sometimes when I I watch people on TikTok talk about things that I'm a fan of and I'm like, why would anybody make this video? Doesn't everybody know that? But no, like you're being educational, you're being informative and you're being entertaining. You're drawing me in who is a huge fan where I feel like I know more about this than you do, but you're also educating new people on something that they've never heard of before. So like, give you an example, Dragon Ball Z is something that I think that I'm an authority on. I don't think there's very many people who know more about Dragon Ball Z than me. Uh, It's obviously the number one anime in all of the world. It's huge, Goku has his own day in Japan. That's wild. It's crazy. But there are guys who get on TikTok and just explain Dragon Ball Z season by season. Or they just talk about things. They're like, oh, did you know that on on December 1989, Goku transformed to Super Saiyan for the first time? Like, yeah, everybody knows that. Who doesn't know that? And then I start to think, you don't know that. Nobody knows that. Like, oh, (laughs) shit. There's so many. The internet is so huge. It's so big. There's so much that you could just talk about. Just talk about what you know about. And you know more about a specific topic than probably the average human does make content about it yeah
1: how do you what's the exercise that you take yourself through to find those types of things like how do
0: you identify those things in yourself i try to just not force it i stumble into it a lot of times for the most part i kind of just make content about whatever is going on in my day-to-day before i made the dating videos i just was like Oh, I really love, like, alternative rock bands of the early 2000s. Can I make a video of the top five uh, songs that, like, only white people make but all black people know? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Panic at the Disco. Uh, 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 I write Sins, Not Tragedies. Uh, like, uh, Hoobastank, The Reason. And I'm like, oh, I just want to make videos about stuff that I that I like. I'm like, oh, top five best underrated NSYNC sync songs because <laughs> i'll be in my car and i'm jamming at sync and i'm like okay everybody knows bye 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 and it's gonna be me but do they know these b-sides <laughs> i do do you uh so then i do that but now i've been now that i made the dating video the dating central florida video that's kind of like it's already a built structure so i do that but that happened i just went on a shitty date in st cloud and i was like i hated this i have to talk about it so i made a general video and it it took off it worked
1: do you have any ideas for how that
0: show might evolve Hmm. yeah so it started off being cities uh i was talking about uh different places in central florida and then when i ran out of cities to talk about then i started talking about places in those cities like restaurants venues other places that i frequented regular those worked then i was like okay we can break down places even more restaurants how do we do restaurants and ultimately it's dating so i'm like any place that i've ever been out on a date can go into this video and any place in florida can be qualified so ultimately i felt like i was just gonna uh keep doing central florida and then broad like broaden out now i've done moat like a lot of south florida and other places so i guess the goal next is to go to more places figure out how to do more florida uh and then hopefully it will build at the same time as me traveling for standup. Uh, and as I do shows in these different states and cities, I will either make promo before or during while I'm out there and be like, oh, well, this is what it's like in Alabama, dating in, dating in Wyoming, dating in Georgia, dating in wherever I'm at. And then people around, across the country will be like, oh, well, he's coming to my state. He made a video about me. I have to go see him while I'm out here or he just came from my state, that's so true. Everything that he's saying is accurate. Or they'll fight with me in the comments, like, oh no, you you only seen one part of it. You only seen the bougie side. Let me tell you about what it's like over here across the tracks. And now create the, the engagement on the other side of things.
1: I like the strategy. I think, I feel like if you hit a city that you eventually want to be in, like a certain comedy like place at, like the cellar in New York is an example, but I would say like, it's probably even better for like, like, like lesser known cities. But like, if you hit like a smaller place there and like did a little bit, just like low key and kind of developed an idea of the place, did yeah. a little bit of dating there and you could build on that. And then like you booked, you kind of like do the promo and book somewhere big. That could be nuts.
0: And I think that it, it would incentivize venues to sponsor me, to go out there longer. Mm-hmm. Um, Hopefully the following is big enough that I'm like, hey, anytime I make a video about a location, it increases business for them by umpteenth percent. Uh, It would be advantageous for you to pay for my room and board, let's say, pay for my flight or pay for my hotel while I'm out here and sponsor me on your place. I'll make a video for you. So it'll cost you a couple hundred bucks to like house me but the money that you're gonna see back in the investment is going to be so much worth, like so worth it for you, that places all across the world or, or the country, whatever, will be vying for my time. And then hopefully that's how I develop where I go. Like this place is willing to pay me this, but they're willing to pay me three times more. So I'm gonna go there next week and yeah. build my career and my following up that way. You ever
1: just change your Tinder location to do research?
0: No, I haven't done that. Yet. I, I did that change, could help. I did change my Tinder when I was in New York but Tinder is also really humbling. Yeah. Like bro, like uh, I think like the first day that I downloaded I got like 5 or 10 matches and then like every day after I'll be lucky if I match with like one person and I'm swiping on everything like all of these buckets of yuck are just like ignoring or not seeing me and it's it's gross. It's crazy like I hate The fact that, like, guys are the, like, hunters or the aggressors sometimes. Because in certain settings, people will turn me down that have no business turning me down. That's the humbling part. There are certain places uh, that I can't win. There are certain places that I would have to, like, okay, if I'm a six or a seven and I talk to sixers or sevens, but I go to a nightclub where the music is loud and I don't really have the ability to be charismatic. I just kind of have to go off of, like, body language. I can, I either have to talk to a four or five in order to close that night or I'm getting rejected all night long. And I'm like, do you know who I am? Do you, do you know how many followers I have? Like, I get so pretentious sometimes, especially when I first got my, uh, my following. I was such a diva for a little while, and I really had to, like – like humble myself. Went to your head. I it went to my head super fast. I was going to like like venues in downtown. I remember like uh they were all like all giving me VIP all of these downtown places because they wanted me to feature them in my videos so they would give me like free bottles or pay me to do a walkthrough uh, and then I would go out to eat afterwards and I remember going to a, a Taco Cat in downtown Orlando oh yeah Taco Cat's awesome and they didn't know who I was and I was really drunk after a night and uh, I had to like wait a little while for food and I was like did you know i can make or break this place i literally (laughs) am viral i'm a huge (laughs) sensation on social media if can i talk to your manager can i talk to i became a karen i was like (laughs) i don't know if you know this but i make videos all over downtown and i would love to feature you guys in a video but they're telling me it's going to be 20 minutes for my burrito what can we do about this what can we do about this like bro who do you think you are just Did you have a moment that snapped
1: you out of that? Like a humbling moment that snapped you out? Yeah, I got slapped.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I got slapped and I was like, yeah, you need to humble yourself. (laughs) I was in downtown Kissimmee and I uh, did a show and – the venue was like super happy I was there and they were buying my drinks all night and I was with my boys uh, and I just had been telling everybody like oh yeah I'm famous They're like, oh no I know your videos I recognize your videos I watch you online and there was a girl at the end of the night that like wanted to take pictures with us cause obviously I'm like I'm having the viral moment and I'm like and I said something like just super inappropriate to her I was like yo if you're not like if you're not sucking one of my boys' dicks. Why are you even in this? Why are you even in this picture? Like, yo. Yeah. And she was like, Excuse me, who are you talking to? And I was like, come on. We're just making jokes. We're just laughing. And she was like, No. And she smacked me. <laughs> and then I my boys looked at me like, yo. I'm like, oh I don't know what to do. Like, what do what do I yell at her? Bro? I just was like, nah. She was right. She was right to do that. <laughs> And then afterwards, I was like, yeah, nah, bro, you need to chill. Like, you I got to take it down a couple of knots. Yeah, like, relax. You're doing, <laughs> you're doing too much. But yeah, no, there was definitely a moment that I was like on a high horse. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is crazy. That's funny. Yeah.
1: What is the biggest thing that could happen for you in the next six months that would be transformational for your
0: career? Uh, if somebody bigger than me saw me, like my whole, my whole goal, my ultimate thing is not to just be a headliner, but to be a road comic and to be opening up for household names. So if somebody like, let's say a Joe Coy or, uh, uh, I don't even know. It, it, it could be anybody. I keep mentioning Andrew Schultz cause I'm such a big fan of his, but like a Chris DiCefano, anybody who is already kind of established and they're like, Hey, I saw your content online. I love your stuff. Can I, like, will you come open for me? Like, will you travel with me and just be my feature act? That would be so much cooler to me than me just being a headliner and traveling to all these places. I would love that. I think the problem that I have with that is that because my fan base is so Florida, it'd have to be, like, a Florida comedian who really, like, understood what I was doing. But I don't think we have any like that are on that level. Maybe like Duval. He's from Jacksonville.
1: Oh yeah, Well, Duval.
0: Yeah, but I'm not like I don't talk about Jacksonville, so I don't yeah. think that that would like work for him. But if I found somebody who is like, yes, I'm established and I think that you have something, please open for me. You got to hit
1: the beach bars and do a dating in Jacksonville. Yeah,
0: I, I have to. Jacksonville,
1: gotta... the beach bars are crazy. That's where I'm from, actually. And I yeah. I moved back a couple of years ago here because I went to college at UCF. Okay, cool. But I grew up in Jacksonville, so I lived there for another year. And the beach bar scene has just gotten nuts
0: there. Yeah. It's, I don't know if you've been before. I've it's... never been to Jacksonville.
1: You should try it out. It's crazy. Okay, cool. You, you should. Or you could get some pretty good stories there.
0: I might have to pick your brain for a couple of stories. Yeah, I, I got you. Things. Okay, sounds good. Yeah,
1: there's some good stuff. There's like two very, or I'd say maybe three very distinct areas. There's like there's Riverside, which is kind of the downtown area, and then there's like two different beach bar settings, and the beach bars just get nuts.
0: Hell yeah, bro! I'm a sucker for a good nuts time. Bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like. I crave it. I go looking for it. So yeah. Next spot yeah uh bro honestly if i could just find somebody who uh really saw like the vision and the potential and wanted to take me on the road i think that that's the that's the ultimate goal for me
1: i love it man well i have a couple closing questions that i always ask on the podcast hit me first one if you could travel back in time to the beginning of your comedy journey having the wisdom and the knowledge that you have now what are the things that you did completely wrong that you would just slap yourself on the face and tell them to do everything different
0: uh i wouldn't have i wouldn't have taken it so lightly i would have done more comedy and i definitely wouldn't have taken that two-year break i would have never stopped i would have just been more consistent i think that's the one thing that i like beat myself up about i'd be further along if i had to stop that
1: more consistency i think that applies to everything yeah it sounds like you're finding it now like you've totally found it i mean you get, like, a couple big wins and catch some momentum, the yeah. series and everything.
0: Yeah. That's right awesome. now, there's nothing that can stop me. There's nobody that could tell me that this is not what I was called to do. This is what I want to do. Like, all setbacks aside, like, this is what I have fun doing. I love it. I'm good at it. People reach out to me for advice on a regular basis. I reach out to other people. Excuse me. There's just such, like, a a great community. Uh, for comedy and i feel like i have family in comedy now so this is definitely what i want to be doing with the rest of my life
1: i'm glad i asked about the vision for the show too because it's so cool hearing just like how big the vision is yeah how how far along you see it like how big you're thinking
0: yeah i think it'll be cool to look back at this podcast a year or two from now and be like yeah that's what kevin said he was going to do and he did it like he's doing it at a high level I think I was surprised that the like the series even did what it did. So I just don't think that there's any type of limitations on the potential it can have. I easily could see myself doing a dating in Dubai series where they're they're flying me out and paying me a, like umpteenth money to make video content for them. I never thought in a million years that venues would be calling me or emailing me like, hey, can you make? how much do we have to pay you to make content for our location and this is just the beginning so quality of the video is going to get better uh uh, jokes are going to get uh sharper and i think if like there's no way that i i can't be a consultant for advertising or like at a high level be like just make ad space like and that's worst case scenario just be like a comedy writer for uh for promo but Best case scenario, like I'm making my own content and doing that at the highest level for everyone.
1: The dating space too is so it's so good that you got your series so big in that because that applies to everything. Like yeah, you're I, able to have such a
0: big vision because it applies everywhere and anywhere that you go. Anywhere that you go, everybody's got a date. We have to exist as a society and the only way to do that right now is by keep procreating. So the way to do that is dating. That's it. And I do it at a high level. <laughs>
1: There you go. That's a little soundbite. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> um, And my last question for you. So the show is called Profession Session. And simply just what does it mean to you personally to be professional at what you
0: do? Uh, I think that just having uh, uh, care in your craft, you know, taking pride in your work. I think that's something that my mother instilled in me at a young age. Like everything that we did, it was like your handwriting is not good enough. Like you need – like. Take some pride in your work, uh, and that's what I that's what I try to do in my company. Like I am my toughest critic. Every night that I get off stage and people are like, "Oh man, you killed that!" I'm like, "Yeah, no, nah, I, I stepped on a punchline. I didn't uh, like one of my the there's a there's choppiness in my the audio of my content that needs to be better next time." Like so, I I'm always striving for uh, the best quality product, but I also have to remember that uh, perfectionism is not the same as excellence. And I think that a lot of times we become perfectionists and that's actually a negative quality. So I want to focus more on excellence in 2023 and 2024 uh, and less on being perfect.
1: Love it, man. Thank you so much for coming on. How can people find you?
0: You can find me on everything at uh, Mr407Kevin. Um, I'm, I actually have a website now, so that is uh, huge for the business, uh, Mr407Kevin.com. Um, and all of my plugs are Mr. 407, uh, Mr. 407, Kevin. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and uh, TikTok.
1: Awesome. And that's a podcast. <laughs>